really? Have you done a pilot? I mean, I always love doing pilots, short ones. Basically, I want to find out what is it that we don't know that we don't know. What we don't know doesn't worry, doesn't scare We will find out how to solve what we don't know. But what we don't know that we don't know, that is the challenge. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Alex Cariles. Alex, it's a pleasure to have you on. My pleasure. Thank you for coming, David. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. So, Alex, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you just share a little bit about your current role? Sure. I'm the chief digital officer at Simmons Bank, and I've been with the bank for four years now. Previously, I was with BBVA USA for 13 years. Very cool. Well, I've been really enjoying some of our conversations about the things you guys are doing, super innovative stuff. Before we jump into the work at Simmons, I'd like to get into your personal backstory. And even prior to that, I'd like to start the episode with just What one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today? I think that is going to sound a little bit like a cliche because now a lot of people are saying this, but I honestly believe that you should never take no for an answer. What I do is when somebody tells you that something can be done, basically just think about the word yet. You can do this, think like you can do this yet. And there's always room for a plan B. Have an alternative scenarios on how you can get to your destination. If you uh, have ways, for example, when you're driving, when there's an obstacle, it never says, oops, sorry, you have to stop. It will always find a viable route to get you home. I mean, I can tell you like a story that exemplifies this. At my previous job, uh, we wanted to leverage scanning the barcode on a driver's license in order to get the data to open new accounts. But it turns out that it was not allowed by more than half the states in the country. So instead of saying, sorry, it can't be done, we engaged with our legal team and external counsel 
We eventually drafted what later became the Mobile Act. It was signed into law in December of 2018, and that superseded at the federal level the state's restrictions. And now, not only it's possible, but it's a great way of capturing data and opening a new account. Right now, our account origination process at Siemens is really simple. Take a picture of the barcode on the back of your driver's license. We get all of the data. You don't have to type basically any of your personal data. We can see. Yeah, huge, huge. And I love that advice. It's so relevant to me in my career. I can't count how many times I've heard no. I learned, like you're saying, to kind of help me understand why the answer is no, right? Never take no for an answer. I love that. So Alex, let's talk a little bit about your personal backstory. So how did you start out and how did you become kind of this award-winning chief digital officer of these great banks? Thank you. Well, when I finished college, I worked for a company for one year before doing a master's. After my master's degree, I wanted to give a stint with teaching. So I was teaching strategy and new business at university. And out of that came out the idea of starting my own company. I actually started with a couple of my students specializing in technology solutions for international banks and mostly large government projects. That company grew really fast. And then I placed my bets on mobile technology. I realized that while I was traveling all of the time, it was hard to stay in touch. So I started another company called Data Anywhere to leverage the basically available bandwidth from the wireless companies to transmit data. And eventually I sold that company and I was invited to collaborate with BBVA when they were starting in the US. That was supposed to be like a short time engagement that turned out to last for 13 years, where I started basically as head of operations for their newly created credit card division in the US. And then I became head of innovation and innovation morphed also into mobile banking and then digital banking online, account origination. And basically that's what I've been doing for the last 17 years of my life. Super cool. Do you have the entrepreneurial background, educator? Yeah, I could see why people respect you so much as a leader. What would you say, Alex, is one of the most important things that you learned over the course of your career, personally or professionally? And, and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I think the most important thing is you need to learn to trust your team and lean on them. Especially when you're an entrepreneur or you're like a type A personality, you want to do things your way, you want to do them yourself, you know better than anyone else. So why would you leave your baby in somebody else's hands? I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. There's only so much you can do by yourself. Grow your team, let them make their own mistakes so they can learn. And without a solid team, there's only so much you can do. It takes a lot of effort to let go at first, but once you see them growing on their own, it's a great experience for you and for your team. The way I see it, and I used this analogy before, 
I don't feel like I am directing an orchestra. I feel like I am leading a jazz ensemble. You've seen a jazz ensemble. There's not one person telling everybody else what to play. At one point, the drummer might get inspired and then starts going off on a tangent and we all follow the drummer because he's got something good going on. And then the person with the sax starts going out and, hey, I will let you lead for now because you're sounding really good and you're getting a good sound coming out of that. So it's not just following a straight path. Let your people and your team take the lead when they need to and let all the team members work together. Obviously, you have a goal in mind. They're all going to be going in the same direction, but they don't need to follow necessarily a path between two lines. You can let them have some degrees of freedom to get there. It's hard to do that because especially if you tend to be more controlling, it's a tough thing to do. But once you learn and once you get used to it, it's extremely enjoyable. 100%. For me, it's, it's been such an important lesson to learn. And I had to learn it the hard way. I had to try to muscle and do it myself. And the other thing I noticed is if I wasn't getting what I needed from a team member, I would talk to my business coach and say, oh, it's not happening, but it's on me. Like I need to touch, move and inspire and to coach that person and show them. And then like you're saying, kind of give them the latitude to fall down and learn from it and then keep moving in the right direction. So what about Alex, one of the biggest challenges that you've experienced or a time that you failed, but coming out of that challenge or that instance, you took away a, a really profound lesson? I mean, I think that one of the biggest challenges, particularly when you are in an industry as well established, for example, like finance, is trying to change decades old practices. It's always been done like this. We've always done it this way. Heck, we've had banking since the Medici's, basically. What is it? Like 600 years ago, there were banks already and a lot of practices, still best practices, right? If aid ain't broken, don't fix it. I think that it may not be broken, but it can be much better. Earlier, you and I were talking about this, like when we launched our new digital checking account, we knew that for those customers opening their first account, it was nearly an impossible task to open an account online because with the majority of the banks, it required funding that account from another account. So if I'm opening my first account, how do I do that? It catch 22. So we decided to completely eliminate the funding process. I mean, there were people basically horrified at the idea of, not asking customers to fund their account when opening it. Oh my God, what are you thinking? You're just going to be getting hundreds of accounts with no money. Yeah, because there's nothing more fun to open an account just for the fun of it if you don't intend to put money in it, right? Like, right. I mean, you're opening an account. Let's be reasonable. People do logical things. I'm opening an account. I'm going to be funding my account. Well, turns out that not only we made the process faster because we eliminated a whole step, but also eliminated a lot of abandonment. 
You know that nearly 60% of people under 23, when they're opening their first account, they abandon the process when they get to funding. We got a lot of uh, younger people, so much so that that account now is open, I would say mostly two thirds are millennial and Gen Z's opening that account. What about the no funding people? Well, we've seen those numbers to be under 2%. We give you 45 days to fund your account. If you don't fund it, we follow up with you and tell you things like, hey, do you know you can use mobile deposits to fund your account? So next time you get your paycheck, just take a picture of it and you can fund it that way. Or you can print your direct deposit form, give it to your employer, and your deposit will be transferred directly to your account, and that way it can be funded. By the way, if you do that, you're going to get your paycheck two days early. That's another benefit. So we've gotten great response. As a matter of fact, this account, our digital account, is the account that has more direct deposits enabled than any of the other accounts. Because we make it really easy for customers to do that. That's super cool. It just goes to show like that innovation is not necessarily something that's like so overly technical, right? It's like that was just something that you noticed could be, like you said, kind of just improved, done better, thought about differently. And you guys made that bet. And here we are. The numbers and the the results speak for themselves. So just super cool. Alex, I want to dive into a little bit more about what you guys are up to at Simmons. But at this point in the show, we like to just ask favorite book, blog, literary piece, either that you are reading or I've read in the recent past or all time, your choice. Well, I can tell you, I want to get my geeky side out. I just started reading Rewired by Eric Lamar. And it's basically the McKinsey Guide to Outcompeting in the Age of Digital and AI. Really interesting. It's almost like the guide that McKinsey uses internally to advise on those topics. It's really interesting. A lot of food for thought and a lot of actionable items out of that book. I think it's really interesting. It was recommended to me actually by one of my team members. Like, hey, can you authorize the purchase of this book? It's like, that one looks really cool. You know what? I'm actually going to go and get it myself too. That's like the kind of thing that I love to see from my team. They taking the lead to get these kind of things and improve their own education, training, et cetera. And for me, it was great. Got a fantastic book recommendation and I'm really enjoying it. Love that. I'm always happy to fund those types of initiatives that my team bring to me when it comes to continuous learning within reason, right? They want to go to Maui on a tech uh, you know, vacation. Might have to look at the numbers on that, but by and large, I mean, it's great. And I think it's testament to the culture when you're creating a culture of continuous learning, people want to, they see the value in that or they come to. So Alex, You're at Simmons Bank now. You've been there a handful of years. What is your vision for IT and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization? Well, from the digital side, we normally see basically our realm of action or scope as delivering great 
solutions for our end users. Basically, we create the stuff that our customers use to interact with the bank from the do-it-yourself space. But the reality is that we can leverage those digital solutions across the bank, not only for the end users. Think of this. Why is it that a customer can open an account from their mobile phone from anywhere and do it in five minutes? But it takes a trained professional at a branch 20 minutes to do the same thing. So why can we leverage these tools at the branch too? I recently was doing a presentation at an event in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was talking about how can we digitize the branches? Why can we leverage this same technology? Because if an end user is able to use these tools to open an account, let's say in five minutes, then the experts at the branch should be able to do it in two and a half. And then it doesn't mean that now I can kick you out of my office after three minutes. That means that if you had already scheduled 20 minutes to be at the branch, now we can have a real conversation about your needs. Do you have any children? How old are they? Are they going to be going to college? Have you thought about a savings account? Have you thought about a trust fund? Have you thought about X, Y, Z? So now you start really learning about your customer, their needs, and really delivering solutions instead of just doing a mechanical act of customer comes in, you spend 20 minutes looking at the back of the head of the banker, typing away information, and then they give you your papers. Here's your account. Thank you. Have a good day. Really change the nature of that relationship. The branch, is it going away? No, I think that it changes the nature of the work more leverage the person to have that personal relationship and then use the technology to minimize that boring piece of that interaction. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. It reminds me too, like when we're doing, for example, we work a lot in customer experience and in contact center. And when we start enabling certain CTIs and integrations with key applications, that can create that level of automation and a certain level of self-service before it gets to the agent, where the agent isn't responsible for doing 40 to 60% of the tasks that they used to be responsible for. Now it frees them up to have that human-to-human interaction, that compassionate experience where they're not focused on typing or whatever that task used to be. They're focused on that individual. And it's just the same principle, it seems right? Where they can really connect human to human, person to person. And I think for that same reason, that's why the branch wouldn't go away because there's times when I just want to, I want to go to the branch. I want to know, especially with something as significant as the folks that are handling my money for my family, for my child's future. Like I kind of want to be able to, to look at them face to face, you know, at least at the onset, that just makes a lot of sense to me. What are some of the key initiatives, Alex, that you all are working on that that roll up to that vision? I mean, right now, we are really focusing on growing our digital sales. We have great products, very competitive rates in the current environment. We have the ability to provide great service to our customers at the branch, have the great tools. Well, now it's time to get all of that together and grow our market share in the digital space. I think that we're poised to 
really leverage all of those pieces and start growing our digital sales going forward. That's where we are putting all of our efforts right now from our digital team. Very cool. What about some of the biggest challenges facing Simmons Bank in general and or your team as you work to to support the organization? I mean, I think it has to do a lot with what we just talked about on how to bridge that digital world and the physical world. There's a lot of things that need to change in order to have this seamless transition between both of those. And a lot of changes mean convincing a lot of people along the way that those changes are necessary. Because imagine this thing, for example, when you're opening an account online, and let's say that your address doesn't match what's on your driver's license or what's on your digital footprint, and we want to know more about that. So we might ask you, hey, we need to review your account. Can you please send us a copy of your most recent utility bill to confirm your address? If you're doing it in the digital space, that is, could be synchronous, it's really easy to do. You send it. Maybe when I get home, I find a piece of information that the bank needs, send it over, and then I get a continuation link, and I can finish my account maybe at whatever, two in the morning if I want to. But imagine if you were doing that at a branch and the same thing happens, what is your banker going to do? Like, okay, here you go. Here's a pillow and a blankie, get comfortable because we don't know at what time we will figure out what happened to your application and we'll have to wait until somebody gets back to us. You can't. We have to figure out new ways of bridging that gap. How can we trigger like an immediate response? How can we let the customer, for example, go and then engage back on their own? There's a lot of still missing pieces that we need to fill in those gaps to have that seamless transition between the two worlds. So that to me is like one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge right now. That's super interesting. But it's true. That's the kind of way you have to think about it from the standpoint of that first interaction through the positive experience of the consumer. What are those bottlenecks and how are we serving to address each and every one of them? That's, it reminds me of the Phoenix project. Like it's more geared towards DevOps, but I always find myself applying those principles to just the value stream of a business and continuous improvement, feedback loops, finding those moments where we can improve things. I would agree too with kind of the first sentiment, which is that particularly for types of organizations that have been averse to change, often for the right reasons, financial institutions, healthcare organizations, often industrial organizations, getting people to buy into that change and really becoming an expert in organizational change management has been crucial to the success of technology initiatives. Going and meeting with those business leaders, making them feel heard. One of my things too is to try to get everyone to feel like it's their idea. Because oftentimes we'll see even the most Luddite people could benefit from the features. And once they kind of learn more about it, the lights start coming on. They're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I could use X. 
Like if you can get me X, like that would be good. And then we have that person enroll. But if I were to just go and not spend the time to try to enroll them, then when I slap the technology on whatever the solution is and they say, what is this? I don't want to change. And you have those individuals squawking. I mean, it can lead to the perceived demise or the perceived failure of a project just because the failure or the success is in the perception of my customers, my colleagues. I read a comment from George Westerman from MIT that said that digital transformation is less of a digital problem and more of a transformation problem. So really the technology is the easy part, getting the people to change basically their expectations, their way of doing things and embracing that change. That is the hard part. Agreed. That would kind of dovetail into my next question for you, Alex, which would be, what are some of the best practices you and your team follow as you're kind of trudging this road of digital transformation? We always start with design. How many times have you seen things in production and you start wondering, anybody took the time to really design this thing before slapping it together? So we are firm believers of human-centered design. Who is going to use this? What is this going to be used for? How are you going to do it? To give you an example, I mean, we have even changed, for example, the flow to open a CD and to open a checking account. How different should they be? When you start considering, well, this one is going to be open mostly by millennials and Gen Cs. This other one is going to be more Gen Xs. They're like, okay, there's going to be differences. Even the font size should be, we'd be using like a larger font on the CD flow, should we eliminate steps like the selfie for existing customers and things like that, that are really tailored to the customer with the customer in mind when we're designing those things. So design, test, pilot, rollout. That's basic. Well, is it really basic? But you'll be surprised how many times those things are overlooked. Yeah, I already put this thing together, let's roll it out. Well, have you tested it? It has to work, right? Really? Have you done a pilot? I mean, I always love doing pilots, short ones. Basically, I want to find out what is it that we don't know that we don't know. What we don't know doesn't worry, doesn't scare We will find out how to solve what we don't know. But what we don't know that we don't know, that is the challenge. And we shouldn't be afraid of failure. I mean, you're doing a pilot, your expectation should be, I hope that this crashes and burns so I can make it better. So I know what I'm missing. Otherwise, if the pilot goes perfect, nothing happened, then you're always wondering, when is the other shoe going to fall, right? Fail fast, recover, move on. You need, the other day I heard somebody said this, and I think it's very accurate. You need progress, not perfection. You just need to take one step and the next step and the next step. Otherwise, if you want to start with perfection, you're never going to accomplish anything. You need to get something out and then start improving it and refining it. I mean, that's the whole idea behind I something learned from the reaction from your users, feedback from them, how to improve that product, how to make it better. And eventually you are progressing. 
Wow. Yeah, I love those. You mentioned the what I heard was the human-centered design or consumer-centered design. I mean, that's what it's all about. If I'm designing something and then trying to sell it to someone, I mean, you see developers and tech-minded folks do that all the time. And it's just in banking or healthcare in particular, not integrating that patient feedback or that consumer feedback. Like the fact that you were just denoting like millennial versus Gen X, who's using this? Why are they using it? Like, that's what it's all about. And I'd love progress, not perfection too. That's actually something that is one of my mantras. So love that. We've talked about innovation on so many different levels throughout the episode, but are there any kind of cool, innovative technologies that you all are either rolling out now or kind of on the roadmap for you that will serve to support the business vision of the organization? I could tell you a lot of cool stuff, but the reality is that what we're leveraging a lot is older, boring stuff like APIs, for example. They've been around for quite some time now, but to me, they're great because you can now tap into, for example, best-in-class solutions to make them available in our digital channels for our customers. So you don't have to focus on a final product that has all of the bells and whistles, like our online or mobile banking solution, for example. It gives us the flexibility to do things much faster and better than starting from scratch. As an example, I love giving examples because that helps you like put things into context. We launch a process to pay your credit card from our mobile app. Like, what's innovative about that? Well, the thing is that we have a third-party solution that provides us with our online and mobile banking solution, but a different third-party that handles our credit cards, and they didn't talk to each other. So we developed our own set of APIs and our solution to talk to both of them so we can get them integrated. And once we were doing that, we started thinking, how can we make paying your card better? Not just paying your card. So we decided to do what's called real-time open to buy. What's that? That means that if you are at the grocery store, you swipe your credit card, and it gets declined because you're at your limit, you can get your mobile phone, make a payment, immediately swipe your card back again, and the payment will go through because you have real-time open to buy. The vast majority of credit cards When you pay them, you have to wait 24 to 48 hours if they were at the limit before you can use them to clear that balance. Here is real time. Little thing, we were able to leverage our solution of connecting both providers and deliver something better than what was available in the market. The little things or our credit monitoring solution that we added to our mobile and online banking, it's a beautiful solution. We think it's the best in class. And we were able to bring that one in by leveraging the APIs and connecting both things together. So our customers notice those things. And I think that it reflected on things like the app ratings. I mean, we have 4.8 stars in the app store and the net promoter score. I mean, people really, really like the solutions that we're giving them because they're practical things. They're not just the latest shiny object. There's something that you can really use in your day-to-day life to improve your financial life. And it's true. I mean, the brands that I like the most, yeah, I always 
give this example, but like Delta, we have a Delta hub in New York, but the little things they do, like even when a flight is delayed, they're very communicative, the lounges, just the way that all of it, the app, very thoughtful. It's nothing like mind blowing per se. It's just like you're kind of saying how they stitch together that consumer experience just makes for a very positive experience. And I mean, you're clearly seeing it in your your app ratings too. So you guys have any locations in New York? What I can tell you. I'm like, I should be a customer as soon as back. I'm like, why? (laughs) My daughter lives in New York and she has an account with us since she was in college. She was living in Austin. And first she thought like, maybe should I change banks because I'm going to be now living in New York? Like, well, give it a try. And now she, the other day, she was telling me how excited she was. I told me something that I wasn't fully aware of. Like, do you realize that in the first four months of the year, there were three paydays that happened on either a Monday or a Tuesday? What? And why does that matter? And she said, because I have my Simmons account, I was able to get my paycheck on Friday, two days ahead. So my friends were all envious that I had money to spend on the weekend and I could go out, and they didn't. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but it wasn't that little mean to say that. Like, no, the good thing is that I was able to pay for everything. And then I just had to wait until Tuesday for them to basically pay me back and Venmo. So I was asking, why do you have so many Venmos? Like, oh, yeah, on weekends when I get early payday, I'm the one with the money. So I guess it pays to be a seamless customer, even if you're in New York. I love that. Any thoughts on where you see the banking industry going in the future or, or maybe what some of the biggest changes might be as time passes? We need to realize really that our biggest competition is not going to be coming from other banks. I mean, it will be coming from other well-digital known players. And that is already happening. You look at the news and you are going to see a lot of digital companies starting to close in on the banking business. And if we don't win the heart of our customers, we're going to be relegated to be behind the scenes, like a utility. And if I ask you, like in Texas, that we had like the energy deregulation, I don't even know who's my energy provider, who basically connects those utility plants to generate my electricity. I just know whom I'm dealing with on the front end to sign a contract, charge me, bill me, and I do it because they have the best price and they have perhaps the easiest way to set it up online. I don't care who's doing it behind the scenes. And that could happen to banks if we really don't engage with our customers, make them not only like us, but really love us. Remember when we launched our first or our latest version of our mobile app, one thing that blew my mind were how many customers had in the comments that they loved the new app. Like when was the last time you saw love and banking together in the sentence? So by really having happy customers, getting their hearts, we are going to guarantee that we'll stay in the long run because we are going to have that direct relationship with our customers and not just a utility in the background. Love that. Alex, final question would be, if you could go back 5, 10, 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I'm not admitting to anything with this one, but I would say, Learn early on how to improve your people's skills. 
Having great technical skills is important, but without people skills, it is much, much harder to succeed. We've mentioned several times throughout this conversation, the importance of people, the working with your team, managing change, and you having to be working with people to do that change. It's true. The technology is the easy part. Understanding people, understanding their needs, understanding their motivations, and how to have a good dialogue is incredibly important, but also incredibly hard to do. You may think, well, I've been speaking since I was two or three years old. I have plenty of experience. Like, no, you don't. You really almost need to relearn how to talk to different people so they can listen to what you're saying and most importantly, learn to listen to what they are saying. So you will both be on the same page and you can address their needs and then you both can be successful. Love it. Alex, thank you so much for your time today. It was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. Continue term. Be well. Take care of one another. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.